Welcome to Game Horde. Welcome. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Anastasia. And this is the podcast where we play through the many games that I own but have never played. They kind of keep coming. The I'm trying to think of the word I want. Multiplying. The games are multiplying? Increasing. Are my games doing it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gross. But it's true that we did add another game since last episode. So we are at, once again, 60 games. You absolutely cursed yourself. I know. I was like, I will always stay below 60 games now. Two episodes in a row, still at 60 games. (laughs) And this was another, it was gifted to you, the game was. Yeah. So actually, I guess... By your bestie. I guess that it's not my fault. It's, It's now John's fault because he gifted me the game. So the game that was added is Feist, which seems to be totally unrelated to the musician. This is not, this is, I don't think there's any one, two, three, four involved. I actually know nothing about this game. So. Was it on your wish list? Nope. Oh, he's just nice. He just thought it looked interesting and decided to give me a copy. So. Such a bro. So, uh, yeah, we'll get to that one eventually. But this episode, what we're talking about is Oceanhorn, Monster of the Uncharted Seas. And it is... I'm trying to come up with the words that you use to describe games. But no, I want to come up with it on my own. Alright, try. See what you got. A little dude. Hero journey. Hero journey. Um, on a boat. Combat. With some combat and some, some kind of puzzle work. Some light puzzle work. That's a good genre. <laughs> The little dude hero journey on a boat light puzzle action (laughs) game. Combat. (laughs) Okay. But you got the idea. Yeah, I get that idea. I don't believe that genres should be so confined, so constricted. Oh, you're so deep. I think that you should have flowier genres. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if I were to describe the game, what I would say is that it is an action-adventure game with RPG elements that is heavily inspired by the Legend of Zelda series. Okay, how are there RPG elements? Because that's a role-playing game. Yes. But well, you don't roll any dice. Right. When we talk about... See, this is the problem with genre. So when we... Oh, see? Oh. <laughs> so when we talk about RPG in video game terms, it has to do more with the game systems. Because essentially, in any game, you're playing a role. It's it's a poorly named genre. It's games that have systems that are similar to tabletop role-playing games. So in essence, it's games where you get XP and level up and have that sort of a progression. Okay. Which there's some of in this game. Gotcha. So essentially, this game is almost a carbon copy of Zelda. Yes. So if you've played Zelda at all, you know anything about Zelda... That's the basis of this gameplay, and Mm -hmm. it does very little to deviate from that. But one thing it does do is that you do get XP. When you kill enemies, you get XP. When you complete missions, you get XP, you level up, and you get different rewards when you level up. Wait, that doesn't happen in Zelda? Uh, The only Zelda it happens in is Zelda 2, which is a really weird game that's nothing like the rest of the series. Okay. So... So no. So not really, no. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of unique to this game. And actually, I thought was a nice element. Sure. I feel like we gotta back up a few yeah, steps, that's though. Fine. <laughs> so, it's kind of a mix of, like, the 2D and 3D Zelda games. So even though the games in 3D 
the movement is is very much on kind of a 2D well it's a 2D plane but like tiered levels and it's all from a single view it's this sort of isometric view so in some ways it looks more like the 2D games and the gameplay plays pretty similar to that but when you get into combat with the enemy you can strafe around them and use your shield and stuff so a pretty good mix of different elements from different Zelda games I felt like and it probably takes the most inspiration from the Wind Waker obviously since this whole game is about sailing to different islands on its little ocean which is your most favorite Zelda game right and so Wind Waker is like my favorite game uh-huh and so while this I would say it's not as good as Wind Waker. It's a really good game, and it uses the inspiration well, and I really liked the gameplay elements. I liked that each island felt like its own unique little world with its own puzzles and secrets, and, you know, each island itself is almost like a little dungeon that you have to go around and solve its puzzles. And then on some of the islands, there are dungeons as yeah, well. Yeah, I was gonna say, wait, there are dungeons on islands. Yeah, but... What I'm saying is that in this game, compared to a typical Zelda game, the overworld feels more dungeon-y. Like, there's more to do in the overworld. It's not all about the dungeons. Gotcha. Which, you you unlock new islands by either hearing about them, so you can just, like, talk to an NPC, and if they tell you about an island, you can now go there. Mm -hmm. Um, Either that, or sometimes you can read about them. Which is cool. Yeah, definitely. It's always an exciting moment in the dialogue when you see it pop up like, oh yeah, I heard about this island. You're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go there and find out what's there. That blue highlighted text. Yeah. Because there's always, like every island, like I said, has its own secrets. And what I really enjoyed about this game, and something that I feel like um, more modern Zelda games have kind of lost, is that you don't have to go to all the islands. So to actually beat the game, I would say you only have to go to about half the islands, Mm -hmm. whereas the rest of it is all technically optional. But the rewards for actually going to them and doing the stuff are really well worth it. You get whole new items and spells Mm -hmm. and all kinds of things. And experience points. And experience points. So it's... I I like that element because the more recent Zelda games have really felt like they're just like, okay, go here, do this. Now go here, do this. Now go here, do this. Whereas the older ones are very like, okay, here's a big world. Explore around, figure out what to do. And so the amount of direction and freedom that you got in this game, I thought was was really solid. I, I liked being able to actually explore and make my own discoveries instead of being told, hey, go here and find a thing. And so this was probably because it was inspired by the Wind Waker, which is a more open worldy type game. Right. The Wind Waker also, there's no need to go to every island mm-hmm. except to explore everything. So yeah, I liked I liked that as well. But yeah, I mean, it just, the really the worst part of the gameplay is just that it doesn't really do a lot to add to the Zelda formula, which is fine. I mean, essentially what this is, is, hey, here's Zelda now on Steam, mm-hmm. <laughs> which for a lot of people, myself included, is really great. Yeah, well, I mean, originally it was like, hey, here's Zelda on a mobile game. On a mobile device. Right, so this came to iOS first. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like a port of a mobile game at all. This feels fully like it was designed from the ground up for PC or console. So I'm really impressed with it, and I wonder how much of it has changed from iOS, but from what I can see, it doesn't seem like a lot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's really impressive to play a game that was good enough on iOS that actually got a PC port, and it, it feels good. It doesn't feel like... A cheap game. My only complaint, I guess, of the game 
This could also be related to the fact that I'm unfamiliar with the Zelda formula, but I wrote down somewhere where it's just like, okay, so you need to get through a door. So to get through the door, you have to move a stone. Well, Mm -hmm. to get through the door, you have to get a key. To get the key, you have to move a stone onto a thing. Yep. Well, to get the key, you have to go to the chest. And to get to the chest, you have to move the stone onto the thing. And to move the stone onto the thing, you have to light that thing on fire. And just, like, that kind of is pretty much standard for every situation. Like, there's not really anything different. I guess I can think of one island that had, like, really... Had a specific mission that was different from moving blocks. So that way you could get to a chest... So that way you could open a door. Mm-hmm. So that way you could get to a different chest that has a different key. So that way you can open up the other door. So that way you can get to a chest that has a, a spell or a gold or something fancy in it. Is that just a Zelda thing? So, yeah. I mean, what you're describing is basically like typical puzzle solving in a Zelda game. But you're right that it, it definitely is all kind of the same here. That The puzzles aren't super interesting or complex yeah, or really there, it's just like a lot teasers. of like okay obviously this switch needs to be activated and now that gives me this which I can use to get through this area like it's it tends to be straightforward but with a lot of steps mm-hmm. so I would say that the puzzles aren't as good so but it, it has the essence of what Zelda puzzles are which is a lot of switches and moving blocks and things like that but the Zelda games add more to it because there's also other elements usually like oh in this game you can turn into a wolf in this game you can go into this other world or travel through time and so they layer all these elements on top of each other that make the puzzles more complex and have Mm -hmm. more to it but here it doesn't have that sort of a thing to it so it's generally just the the typical zelda formula of okay you move the blocks around to progress through the dungeon until you get to the point where you get the new item and then that new item lets you get through every puzzle that remains in the dungeon and you fight the final boss. Right. So, yeah, that progression is definitely less interesting here. The good thing is that the game does have less of a focus on the dungeons, and so you're not doing as much of that in this game, which is good, because it wasn't its strong suit. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, what did you think of the game visually? So, I describe it as everything looks like it's made out of inflatable bouncy house material. Hmm. It, that's interesting. I said yeah, that it does out have, loud like, to you before. Did you not hear? No, I remember you saying something like that. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, everything does have like a certain softness to it, yeah, right? Yeah, well, and almost everything moves, but in a in the way you would expect something inflatable to move. Something that's been inflated, like a bouncy house. Does that make sense? It kind of jiggles in a way. Yeah, well, so it's like everything is responsive to where if you go up and hit something, it it won't just be static. Like, it will move in some way. Yeah. Which I thought was a nice touch. Sure. But like a bouncy house. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. That it's just like, a, okay, it moves a little, then it goes back to where it was. Uh-huh. Yeah. I guess. On a, on a very basic level. I just think that everything looked very like maybe because bouncy castles are a thing and it's kind of a lot of things are stoned here like it just everything looked like a bouncy castle and i can't get over that not it's not a negative i'm not saying hmm. like oh man i wish this looked less like a bouncy castle it's just i feel like it was very aesthetically similar interesting but it was good it was nice it was pretty 
Yeah, and I, it made me want I like that. Everything was, I mean, everything is very bright and colorful and crisp. It's it definitely, like, just sort of a happy-looking game. Mm-hmm. I mean, similar to Wind Waker, which is, you know, it's the game it's emulating, essentially. Although it doesn't have that cel-shaded, hand-drawn kind of look. It's it's definitely more traditional, but similarly, just, like, lots of bright primary colors and stuff. Also, what I really liked about it is that the the lighting and the, like, reflections on the water... I felt, like, just looked really good. Mm-hmm. And so that, like, really enhanced the look of the game a lot for me. Since, you know, a lot of it is spent around water. And they had that those really nice reflections. I mean, it's... it's I think also, if you put it in the context of this started as a mobile game. Yeah. It's really impressive visually. Mm-hmm. This is, I guess, kind of different. But in terms of choices, basically aesthetic choices made by the people... Um, the developers? The developers, those specific people. Those guys. Yeah. That... Corn Fox and Bros. That's the developer's Corn name. Fox? Corn Fox. And Bros. And Bros. That's cute, I guess. I don't know what it means. <laughs> the sunny. Um, I thought that the enemies were really weird. Were the enemies like standard Zelda enemies? Yeah, they were was... pretty much just copies of Zelda enemies. Okay, because I, well, I just felt that like, they were kind of misfit. So you're on all these islands and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're not really like tropical islands. They're more like like islands that would be around like in the Mediterranean or something. I okay. Don't know. Okay, but then there's alien types that are bright blue and bright red with spikes, and they're like little slimies. Yeah. And then there's like the there's alien types that are little bugs, like crab kind of tick kind of bugs. Mm-hmm. Those make sense, I feel like. But then the, like, bright blue enemies, anything made sense. And then, also, some enemies had some robotic elements to them. Right. Well, the robotic part is present throughout the whole game and is part of the story. I guess so. It's not... It's, like, a real big part of the story. Yeah, it is. But it's not that present, besides the final boss and, like, one other enemy. Right. Well, so, that, that has to kind of go into the setting of the game, which is that, essentially... The game is post-apocalyptic, but kind of in a loose sense, because, like, the apocalypse happened a really, really long time ago, so now society's fine, it's all functioning fine, Mm -hmm. but I think it seems like the apocalypse is what caused the world to break apart, and now it's all islands, right? And so in the time before that, essentially, they had, there was more of, like, an industrial society, where they had fused magic and technology together, and everything they had is, like, all kind of robotic steampunky. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, steampunky. Right. And so what exists as technology now, you don't have any of that. But when you're dealing with the main enemies of the game, then they're all, like, very robotic like that because they're from that time. Mm-hmm. So I think they're, that's intentionally meant to look out of place because it's from a whole different time. It's not technology that exists anymore. Okay. I guess just, like, I feel like the... The main, like, the little enemy is just kind of where disheveled. Just, like, I feel like the crab makes sense, and I guess the robotic stuff makes sense, but it, like, doesn't fit with, like, this, these super bright colored things that you, enemies that look like you would find in a more, like, tropical setting, or, um, like, a setting where there'd be, like, poisonous animals kind of things. I just feel like it felt mixed match. Hmm. 
You don't have to yeah. agree. No, I, I, I don't. <laughs> that's okay. It's still my opinion. Yeah, that's fine. I there there could have been more variety with enemies though. There's very few enemy types. There's like six, so yeah. it definitely gets annoying after a while because you just know how to deal with them and you're just like, okay, I'm gonna smack you with my sword. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Move on. So that the enemies do get a little repetitive. I mean, the game in general, it's like imagine Zelda, but scale it down, make it shorter, less enemies, less items, less dungeons, like just less everything. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's more on the scale of like one of the handheld Zelda games, which makes sense since it was for a mobile device. Okay. So we're talking about the graphics. What about the sound design? Good positive thoughts. It was nice. Nice music. It sounded like Zelda. Did it? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's just like, just lots of like orchestral Mm -hmm. tracks and then just like, Oh, you get into battle, it, like, is, like, more upbeat, more percussion, and just, like, yeah. It's good, mm-hmm. but derivative. I mean, it's it's not amazing, but I liked it. I yeah. thought that the music fit sure. the game perfectly. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And there is occasional voice acting. So just during cutscenes, the rest of the time when you talk to NPCs, it's just, like, a little word bubble. But in cutscenes, there's voice acting. What do you think about the voice acting? I feel like we've had some pretty negative experiences with voice acting. It's true. In the, over the course of going through your your game horde. So whenever voice acting, it's, like, just, like, perfectly decent, mm. I'm super happy. Because we've seen the flip, the other side of that <laughs> we've, world. We've and listened it's not to some pretty nice. bad voice acting. Yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, it was. It's it was especially all... the um the dad, mm-hmm. your your character's father, who does like kind of narration throughout the game. So every time you go to a new island, you like read your father's passage in his journal about that island, and so you get a little narration about that island and his history and what he did there and stuff, and which is like a nice little touch. And it sounded good. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that the voice acting was a nice touch. It was kind of a good way to do it because I understand that, you know, for a mobile game, you don't want to put a bunch of voice acting in. And also, like, I don't know that it would have enhanced the game. So the way I feel like they used it just enough and the quality was good. So it was like, yeah, it like actually added to the game and atmosphere a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so the story. So we said already kind of what the setting is. It's this sort of like far post-apocalyptic setting. Mm -hmm. But the actual story starts off where your father goes off to fight the ancient monster Oceanhorn, which is one of three living fortresses that were built in ancient times, and it's the only one that's still working. And it seems like, essentially, that it killed his wife, who's your mother, Mm -hmm. and so he wants revenge, and he can hear it out on the sea, so he, like, goes off to go and try and slay it. And then that picks up with you following in his footsteps trying to find him. I feel like that's pretty apt, right? Yeah, and there's an old man that talks to you for some reason. Yeah, he's, like, your dad's friend. Yeah. He's an old hermit, and he helps you. I I felt like the game, it did a surprising amount of world building. Like, when I first started playing it, I was like, well, it doesn't seem like there's going to be, like, that in-depth of a story or stuff. Like, as the game went on, and they talk more about, like, the land of Arcadia and what it was, and, like, the living fortresses were built by this one guy as a good thing, but then they were corrupted by this guy, and then, like, how... It's interesting to, like, introduce that concept and then be like, but centuries ago, you know, two of them died and there's just one left. Like, it's interesting to, like, come up with, like, give you specific names and traits about these things, but then, like they're not in this world anymore. Like, they built a sense of history Mm -hmm. that I felt, like, permeated the game, where, like, 
everywhere you go, like, you learn something about what the world was versus what it is now and what's happened in between. So I actually liked the setting a lot. I found it interesting, and I liked that it was a little bit vague, but you kind of learn more about it as time went on. I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just liked that it wasn't it wasn't really a story-heavy game in a sense. Like, there's not a ton happening and a ton of characters and stuff. It's more just like, hey, here's a world, and if you poke around, you'll learn about it. Like, that's, I don't know. To me, that's what I want out of sort of a more open-world type game, is like, don't just constantly hit me with a story. Like, let me kind of find it on my own. Yeah, I mean, and it it has a good setup for that by how you have to go to different islands. And so you're learning different pieces of history because you're literally going to different pieces of what the world once was. Mm -hmm. So it has a good setup for building the kind of storytelling that you like. Yeah, so, I mean, overall, I really loved the game. It was a lot of fun. I did almost everything, so, like... 88%, I feel like? Uh, yeah, it was in the 80s, because it, t- it tells you your percent completion. So I did, I got every single spell, I got every single item, I visited every single island, you know, beat every dungeon. There's just, like, a few things just scattered across the islands that I didn't do. So frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I don't mind not getting 100%, but There's I... that one chest that was right there. We could see it, and you're like, no, it's fine. I'm like, no, I want... To know what's in this chest. Yeah, it wasn't going to be anything important. But how do you know? You don't, because we never <laughs> went to it. It seemed unlikely, considering we had all the items already. But yeah, so I enjoyed the game enough that I did almost all of the optional things, uh, which took about 11, 11 and a half hours, mm-hmm. I think, when yeah. I beat it, which is pretty good game time, I think, for your money. I mean, if you want to just run through the game, I feel like you could probably beat it in, like, six hours if you didn't do any of the optional stuff, but you'd also be missing out on a ton of, like, a lot of good parts of the game. Yeah, you'd kind of miss out, like, all the good parts Like, a lot of the the story, like, there's the whole islands with, like, their own set of puzzles and logic and story that you would just totally miss out on. I mean, the actual, like, core, I suppose, of what the game is, isn't really that amazing, yeah. Um, like you finding the bosses, finding the enemies, and the puzzles to get to finding the bosses isn't anything crazy. It's really the rest of it, the rest of the experience that makes it good. So if you just played right through it, you wouldn't like it very much, I don't think. Yeah, I think that you'd find it a little bit lackluster. I feel like it's a game that it is better if you kind of poke around a bit literally poke things because it's all made of bouncy house material and so if you poke everything (laughs) it bounces and it's great what did you think about the fishing in the game oh yeah you can in the game you can do some kind of side quest stuff to get a fishing pole and then you can go around fishing yeah which is a zelda thing yes it's fishing a lot of zelda games have fishing yeah for sure strangely not the wind waker though well, yeah, considering it being on water. Doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> so I kind of corrected that mistake. That's funny, yeah. We did find that the fishing is a good way to get experience. That if you catch fish, like every time you catch a certain type of fish for the first time, or you get a fish of a certain size, you get a bunch of experience points. So that was like a good way to just kind of go around and level up. And there's a lot of different species. It was a very well-diverse... Ocean? Ecosystem? Yeah, ecosystem. (laughs) I was going to say, like, biodome. And that was taking it the wrong (laughs) way. 
um, a very diverse ecosystem of fish. So there's challenges. Yes. I like to, I'm all about challenges. So the stuff. challenges are part of the whole XP leveling up system. trying to make you do them. So for each island, there's three different challenges. And then there's also other ones that are just like outside of that. And so when you complete them, they give you different amounts of XP. Mm-hmm. Which... Like large amounts, typically. Yeah. Much more than you get for just killing enemies. Mm-hmm. So it's really what you need to do to level up. So I um, kind of enjoyed that system. Like, because it gave you things that, that generally aren't impossible, but maybe take some time or skill. Like, it's generally not something that just happens. You're, like, trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like, a solid re- reward for it. So it was, like, another thing that encouraged you to, like, really, like, spend time on each island figuring it out um, and doing stuff there. So... So, yeah, that's good. It's a good way to to add a few more elements to the game and also a good reward system. Yeah. So it was things like one thing was kill three enemies at one time, which wasn't a terribly difficult task. It just there wasn't a lot of reason for that to naturally happen. You kind of had to gather enemies around you and then kill them. Yeah. You just had to, like, line Which is it how up, I right? live my life, is I just Yeah, gather... make sure that they all come at you at mm-hmm. once, that way you can kill them all in and one blow. Mm-hmm. It's like a famous saying, right? <laughs> it's not the, art think... of, the art of war. Line all your enemies up, and uh, you can kill them all at once. Are you talking about kill ber- two birds with one stone? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the one. Is that what you're saying? No, no it's not I'm just you're... I'm just making stuff up. Oh, I thought you were actually referring to kill two birds with one stone. No, I also don't think Kill Two Birds with One Stone is from um, The Art of War. I'm not really sure what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, yeah, the challenges are cool. Adds another extra little element to the game. And I liked it. I did a lot of them. They were fun. And then you leveled up a lot. Yeah. Got oh, to... and then you got a shooty sword. Yeah, once yeah. I hit, was it level 13, I think, where... Then they, uh, they borrow another element from Zelda where when you max out your hearts, your sword shoots out laser beams. Oh, they also did the four heart pieces. Yeah. Basically everything in this game is just straight ripped from Zelda. Yeah. But, but there isn't yeah, a Zelda they even call them They even call them heart containers and heart pieces and stuff. Like, they didn't even try. They didn't. And I think that they wouldn't even... Like, if you ask them, they wouldn't be like, oh yeah, we this is our own ideas. They'd be like, oh yeah, oh, we yeah. wanted to make a Zelda game. So we did. Yeah, it's totally shameless. It's just like, well, we wanted to make Zelda, but we didn't have the rights. So we just made it as close as we possibly could, but just tweak it just enough not to get a lawsuit. Yeah. Like, it is that everything about the game is as close to Zelda as you can get without getting Nintendo suing you. Yeah. Well, and they're smart, because they put it out on a platform that that Zelda doesn't exist on. Right. iOS and then PC. Yeah. It's like, hey... You know how everybody wants to be able to play Zelda on these platforms and can't? Let's just fill that niche. Yeah. And they did a pretty solid job. Sure. I feel like that's totally fair. Yeah. Do you think it's fair to just rip off a, a famous franchise, but put it into a platform where it doesn't exist? Do you think that's fair game? Or like, do you think that was like kind of cheap? or like? No, I think it's totally fine. I mean, they made the game from the ground up. It's all their own assets. Like, mm-hmm. it's very clearly... It's very clear what it's inspired by, and nobody's trying to hide that fact, but, like, gameplay elements aren't 
really a copyrightable thing to my knowledge. So yeah, it's like it's totally fair. So it's could good. you make like say could you make a game just like Donkey Kong but call it a different thing and that'd be like totally fair game? But I then I realized that I didn't know any of the plot points or like setting of Donkey Kong. So well, which Donkey act? Kong are you, are you referring to? The original Donkey Kong? I don't know, man. It was a bad example. Because that's what Wreck It Ralph is. Yeah, but it's different. They're not like let me. Like literally make Ralph a gorilla. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Um, yes. Essentially, if I want, if if you wanted to make Donkey Kong, and you wanted to call it. Gorilla Rilla. Yes, you could 100% do that. As long as you're not stealing anyone else's assets, yeah, you can totally do that. Actually, Nintendo had to defend Donkey Kong themselves, because I think Universal went after them back in the day being like, look, this is a ripoff of King Kong. Yeah, and then Nintendo in court was like, nope, because we call him Donkey Kong. And then the judge was like, oh, yeah, see? <laughs> they, his Donkey King, different. <laughs> different. That's... That's allowed. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, donkey and king aren't the same word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's third. He's right. <laughs> and then their lawyers were just like, oh, shucks. He is right. <laughs> they. We lost another one. Yeah. They weasel their way through that one. Yeah. Oh, man, Donkey Kong's a stupid name, though. I know. It's... There aren't donkeys involved whatsoever. No. Right? His name is just Donkey Kong. Right? It's actually Donkey King. <laughs> what? Would you recommend this game to the whole world? Oh yeah, pretty much. I think it's a great game. I mean, you just have to accept the fact that essentially what you're playing is the poor man Zelda. But, if you're cool with that, it's a great game. Like, yeah. it's a really good attempt at Zelda by a developer that isn't Nintendo. Right. I mean, I feel like you have to go into it with the right thoughts. Especially, like, it's best for you, someone who loves playing Zelda, mm-hmm. that you could just go in and be like, I like this, because this is like Zelda, and I'm not playing Zelda right now. Yeah. Well, at the same time, though, I mean, that shows that it is a good game, because mm-hmm. if you really like a type of game, and then somebody tries to do it and doesn't do it well, you're gonna especially hate it. But I think I enjoyed it more for liking Zelda games, which shows that they really did do a good job. Mm-hmm. So. But if you went in, you wanted to be like, I want it to be... Just like Zelda, with no changes. You probably like, still enjoy it, because they didn't well, really I change guess, a lot. I still feel like it has to not be on par totally with Zelda. No, it's not. Okay. It's not. I so mean, it's just I mean. it's just smaller in scope and a little less polished, basically. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend it? Yeah, sure. Go for it. It's funny, like, I feel like we've played... The one game we played, Secret Files. The Secret Files game we played... Why do you have to remind me? I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was like 10 hours, right? Uh, it's, it was, it was so, I think it was like 14 that. hours. Okay. But so it wasn't that much longer than Oceanhorn. Yeah, it was a pretty similar length. But like it felt like it took five weeks to play that game. <laughs> and this it, game, I feel like, went by really quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, there was enough variety in the islands, I think. Like, each each one feels like its own little world. There's new things to do. You're constantly unlocking something new to explore. So, yeah, I feel like it went at a pretty fast pace where I never got bored. Mm-hmm. Unlike Secret uh, Files, where the I was other game we don't need to talk about. just clicking on things. Oh, so boring. 
<laughs> nice. This was also a gifted game. Yeah, from Cameron. Nice. Thanks, Cameron. We liked it. It was good. Yeah. I wonder, I guess, I was going to say, I wonder if he's played it, and if he did, if he liked it. But then, I guess if he played it, and he didn't like it, and then he gave it to you, like, that would actually be kind of rude. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, here's a game that sucks. Have fun. Well, this old town is bruised and broken, swollen eyes and softly spoken, it's final legs are long forgotten, but I can still so, remember them. Game Horde is sponsored by Geek and gamergear.com that's geek the letter n gamergear.com which is an online store of geek gaming anime movie television books book, fiction in general memorabilia clothes gear electronics whatever you're Plush looking for toys it is just Hats. a fantastic stop for geeks and gamers jewelry and prices are very low. So Shipping low. is free. And you can get an extra 10% off if you use the code word HORDE at checkout. And I'm 100% positive that they have Zelda stuff there. So if you wanted to wear a Zelda hat... Oh, sorry. If you wanted to wear a Link hat... Oh, well, I know, I know, I know. You almost just screwed up bad. Although Zelda wears a hat, too. It's, but it's not her hat. Yeah, I don't think they sell a Zelda hat. They don't. It's a Link hat. Yeah. <laughs> but if you wanted to wear that while you played Ocean Horn, so that way you could really feel like you're in the part, I would suggest heading on over to Geek and Gamer Gear. And you'll get it, I'm sure, for less than $10. I feel like I shouldn't pr- make those kind of promises, but I'm guessing... <laughs> I guess we could look it up. Yeah. <laughs> but most things on this store are less than $10, and then you would get 10% off, and then the shipping's free, so you get to kind of enhance your experience yeah if you do that i would recommend lock your door though you don't really want people to watch you doing that (laughs) another way that you can (laughs) (laughs) but no judgment no judgment but uh it's fine and another way that you can support the show is by going to patreon.com slash game horde and becoming a patron of the show and if you pledge at least a dollar then i will send you pixel deity which is a little 2d god game that i made in high school where you make little people and plants and things do you like watching everything you've ever created die clearly then pixel deity is the game for you because everything dies just like real life just like real life so geekandgamergear.com with the code word horde for 10 percent off and patreon.com slash game horde let's get back to the Show. Let's get back marching, traveling through the streets. The drummers kept a steady beat, and the soldiers could not stand for long on their feet. They too are warm, and we okay. So, because Oceanhorn had that system where it has lots of like little challenges for you to do as part of the game, sometimes they actually got you achievements. Um, we want to talk about achievements in video games. Because um, it's a popular... It's everywhere. Yeah. There are achievements on Xbox, PlayStation, on Steam, on Origin, and now they're even on iOS. I don't know if they're on Android. Because we don't have one of those. Let me know, I guess. Yeah. 
you can text him right now. Find out if there's game achievements on Android. I guess you could also Google it. Your brother's not the authority on it. (laughs) So, achievements. They're when, you know, you're going along in a game, you did something, and then a little thing pops up in the corner of the screen and it's just like, hey, you got an achievement. And that's that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the whole experience that I find. It's funny that that's so big. Yeah, so I was looking up, like, the history. Like, when did it officially start? And apparently, like, the earliest kind of idea of video game achievements was in 1982. Activision had a thing for their games where if you could reach a certain score and you took a picture of your TV and that score and you mailed that into them, they would mail you back an iron-on badge. That's adorable. Yeah, how cool is that? That's so cool. I want that system to still exist. Can you imagine just someone walking around with a, like, a jacket covered in badges because they're so good at video games? <laughs> well, clearly they would just be the coolest. Yeah. But it's so cute to think about. Think about the difference between, just for one second, I know you have more to say, but just just, just think about it. The difference between doing the achieve- the thing that would get you an achievement... Mm-hmm. taking a picture, printing the picture somehow, putting it in an envelope, addressing that envelope to go to a place, and having knowledge about the achievement in the first place, putting a stamp on that envelope, mailing it, and waiting in the mail. You don't have to wait in the mail, but you have to wait for the mail. Waiting for the badge to be mailed back to you. And then think about now when you get an achievement, and it like pops up in the screen and then goes away. Yeah, well, so that, different. Well, that's the thing I find with achievements is ninety nine percent of the achievements that I've ever gotten, I was not trying to. Mm-hmm. It just happened. It just was like, hey, you did a thing, good for you. And I was like, well, all right, thanks. Then, <laughs> like, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't trying. Really, where achievements became a big thing though was on Xbox with Xbox Live. They started doing achievements where. They have a system called Gamer Score, where achievements give you different amounts of points towards your gamer score, and then so everybody's profile displays their gamer score. And so basically it's like, people want to get the highest gamer score, it's a cool way to show off like, hey, I'm really good at video games. So cool. So cool. Almost as cool as an iron-on patch. <laughs> not nearly as cool as an iron-on patch. It's not <laughs> on the same level at all. But it's cool. I see. I see. Yeah. That. So... That worked really well for them. Everybody liked it. So now everything else has copied it, including Steam, which is where most of my experience with it is. Oh, I wanted to say, and Facebook. Facebook games are really big on achievements. I feel like... Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... I didn't know that. Well, I'll just see it in my feed. Like, old people I'm Facebook friends with who still play Facebook games and, like, don't really know that how to make it so that way or don't care that it like every time post they get to everyone they yeah, know. yeah yeah every time they get an achievement in the game it posts to facebook oh um so i see that a lot but see that's like still better than i feel like achievements are done on most platforms because in that case there's still a social aspect for it you like you did a thing and then it tells everyone you're connected to like hey look they did a thing cool whereas on something like steam the achievements could not be more meaningless. Like, it just pops up that I did a thing, and then that's it. Like, it doesn't inform anyone else. I don't have a score. I don't have anything. It just, like, is for for me to know, I yeah. guess. But I feel like it comes and goes so fast. Yeah. 
that I don't even know what I did sometimes. Yeah. And it's not like you can go to somebody's profile and see all the achievements. Like, we tried. We We were like, on Steam, can we see all the achievements that somebody has? No. You can see what achievements they have for their few most recently played games, and that's it. So, it's a system that's, like, there, but it just can't figure out what actual purpose it serves. And the thing is, with Steam, they have such a good way that they could implement it. So, you know, Steam has a system of, you have trading cards, and you can, that you get for playing a game, and then you can craft those trading cards into a badge, and then that badge gets you different rewards, and that levels you up. You have XP, and that levels you up, and you can see for each person you're friends with on Steam what is their level. And all of that would be such a good system to tie into the achievements, where it's like, okay, to get the trading cards, you have to complete the achievements for the game. And then you can get your badges and your XP and level up from that. And so then people's, like, level would actually be tied to the games they played and Uh how well they did in those games and stuff. No, it's not. Huh. It's tied entirely to just you spending money. I assumed. Oh. Yeah. I thought, I always assumed that the the trading cards on Steam had to do with achievements. No, it would make so much sense, right? Uh It would tie in perfectly. And then I think it would be an even better system than what they have on Xbox. Mm -hmm. But as it stands now, it it doesn't connect at all. And the achievements really don't serve a purpose. Or it can even be communicated well. Hmm. Weird. Yeah, it's the same thing with iOS. Like, why when I'm playing a game on iOS do I want a little thing to pop up and be like, hey, you got your first five points. Yeah. Cool. And just like, okay, well, now you killed me because you popped up on the screen. Like, right. I, I don't care. Go away, Game Center. Weird. Yeah. So it's just something that's like, everybody's copied what Xbox did, but nobody's actually done anything with it the way that they did. Like, mm-hmm. there's just, I just cannot figure out what is, what's the reason for having this? If a game didn't have any achievements, do you think you would notice? No. I don't think I would even notice the app. I don't think so. you would either. And the thing is, like, some games have sort of achievements built into them, like Oceanhorn, mm-hmm. where achievements in the game are specific things of, like, okay, find this one specific thing, or kill three guys at once, or do so many of this task. And then you get a tangible reward within the game that rewards your, you know, main journey through that quest. So that, to me, is a good system. But that has nothing to do with really the achievements in the meta sense. I just feel like it doesn't make sense to have if it doesn't have any actual reward to it. So do you see any, like, purpose that achievements really serve? I mean, I don't know the psychology, if there's the psychology behind it, because I feel like there would have to be. I feel like people wouldn't go through the effort of making achievements if it didn't encourage some people to keep playing. Yeah. It might not work for you, or it might not register with you that it does have some sort of psychological impact that makes you feel like you're achieving in the game and makes you want to keep playing. So I feel like there's probably something there that, but we're just either not aware of it, or you happen to be someone who's not as impacted by it. Well, I can I can see to some degree that achievements can be good for adding like a high level of challenge to the game for just those people who want it. I suppose. I think when it's implemented that way is when it really works best. Like, here's a, a hard or unique challenge that you can do if you want to do challenge just for challenge's sake, mm-hmm. which seems to be the way that a lot of people do enjoy it. 
I feel like where achievements are implemented really badly is when you just get achievements for literally just going through the game. Like, you couldn't have not got the achievement. Right. It's like, well, that's not an achievement. I literally just played the game. I've had that with Terraria. Oh, you have. Well, see, okay, so Terraria and, like, Minecraft, I feel like also their achievements do serve an actual purpose, though. Because you can see what all the achievements are, Mm -hmm. and it almost works as a tutorial. Because they're, like, listed out basically in terms of kind of how you should do them. Mm. So the first achievement is, like, okay, make a crafting station. Then, like, make a sword and these things. And so for a game like Minecraft that doesn't have a tutorial to start right. you out. it's not really... Well, I guess, yeah, there's same not with that Terraria. much direction. So it just kind of yeah. feeds you some direction. So for a game like that that's totally sandbox and doesn't really start you off with a good direction, there I feel like the achievements do serve actually a very tangible purpose of kind of pointing you in different directions of what you can do. Yeah. I just remember at Terraria what I got an achievement for using a grappling hook. And I mean, I was happy because grappling hooks, once you get a grappling hook in Terraria, like... It makes a big difference. Your life is forever changed. Yeah. Um, but I was also like, oh, that seems... But I can see how you would set it up. You're like, okay, you need to figure out how to make a grappling hook because... Right. Well, yeah, because I've, I've actually done that in the game. Be like, well, what else is there for me to do? Like, I've done a bunch of stuff and, like, look up, like, oh, there's this boss that I've never even heard of. And then from there, you know, go on and find that boss and defeat them. So for mm-hmm. a game that's 100% open-ended, the achievements can work well as giving you some goals and, and figure out what you can do. Gotcha. So there I feel like it, w- it actually was decently implemented. What, what's really bad is when you have a game that's just totally linear... And there's achievements that just, you can't beat the game without getting all the achievements. Then I just don't see the point at all. Like, if you're playing Sonic and you got an achievement for, like, getting your for first For beating coin. each level. Yeah. And it's like, well, the reward is already there because my reward for being a level is I get to do the next level. Like, you don't right. need to also tell me, hey, good job, buddy. Like, yeah. I, I, I know I did a good job. It just says I beat it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, I just feel like they're a good idea. Just, guys, let's implement them better. Mm-hmm. Let's do something with them. Do you think that the popularity of achievements has altered at all the way that people develop games? Because you want to do it in a way Like, do you think people want to build their games around achievements now? Or that that at all has changed the design philosophy? Well, I I mean, it did for Oceanhorn. Like, they added achievements, essentially, didn't they, to, like, the Zelda format. Isn't that the new... Like yeah, that's pretty much the added. only thing they added. And so that's something that's popular on mobile gaming. This was a mobile game. They wanted to make a Zelda game, but they had to add achievements to make it relevant to the current popular gaming world. And so so that could be an example of them changing the game. So, I mean, and like fishing holds no other purpose besides achievement. As far these, as I can tell, yeah. Uh, well, I guess there's one time where... The fishing is relevant to the gameplay, but that's it. Yeah. Everything else, all the other fishing, is just achievement-based. And so, they definitely did. How they made the game was definitely altered by wanting achievements to be a part of it. Yeah, and I guess now that I think about it, it's most mobile games kind of are. Like, where they're mobile games that are very open-ended, you'll, you'll constantly have like a few different objectives. Where it's like, oh, beat 25 of these guys in one run. And then Mm -hmm. when you beat that, it gives you some little reward, and it's, like, a way to keep you to coming back to the game, even though the gameplay itself hasn't changed. You have new challenges, you know, new achievements to get. 
So I guess that it does make a lot of sense for those kinds of games. So, like, we played... Race the Sun. Race the Sun. Yeah. And that was, like, all achievement-based. Besides, I mean, you get to... You want to go further and further in the game. Mm -hmm. But once you're... If you get over that, their achievements are a really good part of the game. Yeah. And and there, again, it does make sense. Like, it adds... It makes the game more interesting than just trying to get as far as you can. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a reward within the game itself, which I think is a, a good... Yeah. Part of it. Right, that seems necessary. I guess where where I get frustrated with achievements is just in games where they really have no place. Like, when I'm playing Mass Effect, and the game all of a sudden pops up and is like, hey, congratulations, you finally made out with that person that you've been romancing for the last ten yeah. hours. Like, this is really taking me out of the game right now. Yeah. Like, I really don't want Look, you to be like, be hey, good job. <laughs> on this makeout session. <laughs> this My whole focus is on this makeout session, and I want to be Kissing an alien with blue head tentacles right now, and I want you to not be telling me good job, because now I feel weird. <laughs> Have you ever gotten an achievement that made you feel really cool when you got it, that you weren't expecting? No. Really? Okay, hold on. That happened to me one time. Do you want to hear my story? Sure, I would love to hear your story. Great, okay. So, do you remember the game Little Alchemy? Yes, that's a game where you just take two things, you combine them to make a new thing, and you can combine that with other things, and you just try and make everything, Uh right? Yes. Okay. Okay. So, I went hard. You went ham? On Little Alchemy. Hard. Ham? hard <laughs> and <laughs> and what <laughs> i have i'm pretty sure i have like 390 things wow that's a lot it is it's a lot you did go ham i'm hard i went hard <laughs> and i got an achievement for getting I don't know why it was any different than any other thing you make on Little Alchemy, but, a, like, a secret element or something like that. Ooh. Yeah. What was it? Um. Was it Element Rainbow? No, it was, <laughs> it was Piano Cat. I combined music and cat together, and I got Piano Cat. Oh. And that's the only time you got an achievement in the game? I don't remember. I don't... I think you might get achievements when you start out, but kind of like what you talked about in a kind of a tutorial it's just sense. Just like no, make no, no. your first combination. Yeah, type it's just thing. kind of like, hey, you got the idea of how you're supposed to play this game. You're supposed to start combining things together. Sometimes you can combine an element because they're not elements, but you can combine, you know, like sand and sand and make a desert. You know, they're like, oh, you combine two of the same thing together to get something. You can do that. BT dubs. Keep on with that. That's how the achievements kind of are. Hmm. But, so once you get past, you know, like 300, you're not getting achievements anymore. Yeah. And then I got the achievement for the secret thing, and I was literally so pleased with myself. I was so pleased. Because I made Piano Cat. Well, that's very exciting. Good for you. Thank you. See, if only you would have had a way to share that with people. I probably would have. If only you could have gotten an iron-on badge of a piano cat, I you could have worn. I probably would have done that. I would have, I would have taken a picture, printed it out, got an envelope, got a stamp, written the address, and snail-mailed it to the geniuses behind Little Alchemy. So, I guess that our feelings on achievements can basically be summed up as, 
It's a good idea that has a good role in games when used appropriately, but don't give them just for playing a straightforward game. They work best if they're either unique high-level challenges or as tutorials, but not just, hey, you beat the level or did something very mundane. And there needs to be some sort of either a tangible reward within the game or some sort of social element for anyone to actually care about it. Sean texted me back. Cool. He said probably. Probably? Yeah. There are, there are okay, this just in. <laughs> there are probably achievements in Android games. We yeah. can't verify. <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, there are achievements in Android games. We have a very reliable source. A very... We have a very reliable sauce, you guys. It's great. It goes well with anything. You just the... put it right on top. Don't make fun of it's me. It's like sriracha. It's, it mm. just goes with everything. It's mm. very reliable. Put that on anything. A very reliable sauce. Give me vegetables. Give me fish. Give me grain-related foods. Sriracha will go on them. And those are all the things that... Those are the only three categories of food that I eat. So. Yeah, you're very limited. And I put sriracha on all of those things. So good. Why do we always end up just talking about food? It always happens. Um, if ocean horn... No. Was a sauce. No. Oh, a sauce. Oh. Do you think I was going to say pie? I did. <laughs> no, um, if it was a sauce. Like a salty, like a fish, like a salty sauce, like soy sauce. A tartar sauce? A fish perhaps? sauce. Perhaps. Tartar sauce? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm thinking about like Asian fish sauce. Like fish sauce. That's a thing. Fish sauce. Is it? <laughs> yes. I will just keep saying it. Do you have it from a until... reliable sauce? <laughs> until you believe it is true. <laughs> fish sauce. Okay. It's made from anchovies. Oh, that makes sense. That's why it's salty and that's why you shouldn't use a lot of it in your food. Wow, that's weird. So it's literally, you just liquefy whole fish um, to make your sauce. It might be more like gravy. Uh, okay. No. I don't know if okay. fish sauce or fish gravy sounds worse. Wait, hold on, Because fish gravy sounds pretty gnarly, man. I'm not putting that on my food. From from Wikipedia. Who boy. So, um, anchovies and sauce are arranged in wooden barrels to ferment and are slowly pressed. Yielding this salty, fishy liquid. Wait, so you... So essentially... It's, so I understand. So you take whole fish. Uh-huh. You let them rot while slowly applying pressure so that they liquefy. Mm-hmm. And then you put that on your food. Yeah. I think you should retract your statement about Ocean Horn. <laughs> because we actually liked this game. And that sounds horrifying. Yeah, but there's fish in the game. You go fishing. Okay, and it's the ocean. so you're trying to take it in the most literal sense you can. Uh-huh. And not based it on flavor profile. Alright, I think maybe we should let the metaphor go. Let it die. Would you like to pick another game? Is it that time? Has that moment <laughs> arrived? Yes. Ah, wonderful. <laughs> what are you doing right now? Is this a bit or are you just being weird? No, it's done. It's over. Okay. Alrighty, let's see. Okay, 60 games. <laughs> not 59. Not 59. We can't go back there. You know what? Next episode, it's probably going to be 60 again. Do you think so? Ah, God, I hope not. The game for next episode will be Lovely Planet. Aw, that's cute. Was this a bundle game? 
Yes, it was. Do you know about it? I think it's a really colorful first-person shooter. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. That's about all I know. It's not like the show Happy Valley, where that sounds really oh, pleasant. Oh, no. And, like, it's, like, lovely planet. That show's planet, depressing. And it's actually, like, horrid. Okay. No, it's a good show, it's but a it's show, just depressing. It's a good show, but, like, yeah, it's yeah, so depressing. It's lot, lots of bad things happen. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, I don't think it's like that. Cool. But we'll have to find out. Yes. So, tune in next time to hear what we think about Lovely Planet. Hopefully, it's nice and good, and not sad and bad. I agree. (laughs) If you want to email us your suggestions for additional segments... Or just chit-chat. Just be like, hey. Hang out. Some guy emailed us and said, you guys are awesome, and... That's so we appreciate nice. that. That Thank was, you that was a very that kind person. thing to say. Yeah. Wow. So nice. And When's the last time you just emailed somebody and told them that they were awesome? It's been too long. <laughs> or you can always uh, contact us on Twitter at game underscore hort or on our Facebook page. You can find any links you need on our website, gamehortpodcast.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please do rate and review it on whatever app you listen to it on. We would really appreciate that. And thank you to everyone who has done that. So, see you next time. Walk these streets all on my own, but I'm still out there searching for my home. The song that you've been listening to this episode is This Old Town by Isaac Graham. You can hear more from him at copyleft-records.com. Disappears from my bones Because I know that this will only